Crikey! It's episode 179 of the Tennis Podcast. My name is Nick. This is the show where either myself or my sidekick host bring a top tennis list on a different topic every single week. The list is usually fact-based, quantitative, packed with fun facts, trivia, and of course, scorching hot takes. Today, my guest sidekick host is Ellen Weatherford from the Just the Zoo of Us podcast. Ellen, say hello. Hey, Nick, and hey, everybody. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yes, I am so pumped. I sure hope you brought an animal-themed episode because I'm in the mood for one. Okay, great. (laughs) I cannot be involved with any sort of project without it being animal fact-based. Animal lists are some of my favorites on the show, so I'm glad that you have one for us. And every week on your show, Just the Zoo of Us, this is probably not news to you since you are the host of the show, but (laughs) your show does in fact cover an animal every week. You research it, you review it, you rate it out of 10. Since you're a ranking show and you're a review show and you cover animals, covers all the bases for me. So big fan. (laughs) But I'd like in your own words to tell the folks at home more about you, your background, your podcast, anything else they should know about you. Yeah, absolutely. So right off the bat, I think y'all and I started our podcast at around the same time. And I think like connected in one of those like indie podcasting spheres. I don't remember which one, but very early on. And so it's been (laughs) really exciting to see like y'all's show grow like parallel to ours. And so that that's been really exciting. So it's it, it feels really cool to get to talk to you now because of, you know, was listening to your show in the very, very early days when it was just a little baby podcast. But Well, and that's the, uh, not to interrupt you, but... No, you're good. I mean, I'm sure since you're here, you probably know that my regular sidekick host, Brandon, is on leave. So the last few months, I've been doing this, talking to different, mostly podcasters every week. And it's given me a chance to connect and put faces to people that I've been talking with on social media or over email for years now. Because mm-hmm. I started the podcast, me and Brandon started the podcast almost four years ago. So yeah, we probably DM'd years ago and <laughs> both listened to each other's shows. And then it's funny that we land here and now we're talking to each other. It's pretty cool. It's very exciting for me. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, our podcast kind of goes back and forth between me and my husband. We'll each bring an animal that we have reviewed ourselves where we do a bunch of research and learn a bunch of really cool stuff about them. And we review them kind of like to each other. And we just kind of have fun like geeking out and info dumping Mm -hmm. at each other. And then uh, we alternate between those and episodes with a guest where I will talk to a guest who has some sort of expertise on an animal. So these are like zookeepers or scientists or sometimes they're like science communicators who have some sort of like experience with an animal or special connection with an animal. So getting like the the informed takes Uh on the animals that they bring, which is really, really fun. But I myself am just kind of some rando from Florida. (laughs) I'm not uh, an animal expert or anything. Um, You know, we've just been doing this podcast for a few. All the years now. Like, honestly, I feel like at this point, if I haven't earned an honorary something, (laughs) like like it's got to be worth something. Um, But so, yeah, you know, we... Don't necessarily come to this with a, but we do make sure that the information that we're bringing to the show is thorough. We make sure we cite all our sources, right? We say where yep. we're getting our information from, make sure the information we're bringing is valid and good. And that really prepared me for bringing the list that I'm bringing to you this week because I know it is fact based. That's what I love. I, I, you know, we have a few exceptions, but for the most part, our lists here on the show are fact based, as you know. Ellen, I am 
on pins and needles, porcupine pins and needles, waiting for you to tell me the topic of today. So give it to me. This is the top 10 most charismatic animals. (laughs) I gotta admit, I did not expect this. Now, when I say charismatic, when we're talking about animals, this means something very specific when we're talking about animals. We mean animals that are like popular with humans, basically. Oh, I love that. Okay. So charismatic animals, meaning the animals that are the most popular with people, the most well-received, well-liked, the animals that are the most likely to be like someone's favorite animal, basically. I think that's amazing. Where did you pull this from? (laughs) I'm so curious where you got this. This is a study by the the title of the study is the paradoxical extinction of the most charismatic animals. This is by Frank Courchamp et al. And this was published in the journal PLOS Biology. That stands for Public Library of Science. And this was published in April of 2018. Okay. So this was an actual study that they did to the, the, the goal of the study was to identify the most charismatic animals, and then analyze the real-world population trends of those animals and see how they compare. Gotcha. So they're looking at, like, what are the most popular, well-liked animals, and how are their populations doing in the wild? And the way that they identified what the top 10 most charismatic animals were were really interesting. First of all, pretty straightforward, an online survey. They just put out an online survey asking people, what animal do you like most? Or what animal do you find the most charismatic? The second method they used was, this is a quote from the study. They say, a questionnaire given to primary school children of France, Spain, and England. So I'm imagining that they're literally just walking up to eight-year-olds with a clipboard, like, hey, what's your favorite animal, kid? Which is like, can you imagine being that (laughs) eight-year-old? No, but that eight-year-old is probably very fucking prepared to answer that question. Like, off the top of their head. Immediately. Right. Like, if someone asked me my favorite animal today, right now, I'm 32, I'd have to think about it for a minute. But eight-year-old, they have that at the ready. They're like, I'm so glad you asked. They start wheeling a podium out. They, like, get, <laughs> yeah. they get out like a binder where they've got like a PowerPoint loaded up already ready to go. They're like, I'm so glad you asked, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. The eight-year-old's like, this is so weird. Normally, I'm the one asking you what your favorite animal is to the adult. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that would have cool. been so validating for those children. Absolutely. But the third way that they determined the most charismatic animals was really neat. They looked and they saw which animals were featured the most frequently on zoo websites. So like you go to a zoo's website and see like the animals on the front page and the covers of Disney and Pixar movies. I was going to ask that when you started going with the zoo website, I was like, man, I wonder I should do a list about animals on Disney, but I don't have to because you brought it right here. (laughs) Well, so like that was just like part of like how they determined which animals were the most charismatic, like the ones that they see in promotional imagery for movies, which makes sense because like naturally for marketing purposes, they're going to want to put more popular animals on their promotional imagery for their movie. Yeah, there's not a boardroom of Disney executives sitting around a big table saying, okay, we got a new movie coming out. We need to think of new animated characters. Someone raised their hand. Let's pick the least charismatic animals. The ones that people don't care about. You know, the dung beetle animated feature film. That's not happening there. Yeah. yeah, nobody's out there pitching like deep sea crabs or anything like that. Like <laughs> no. that is that those probably did not test well in the focus group. Or bird eating. Uh, <laughs> what's the one? And uh, is a bird eating spider in Australia? The tarantula. Yeah. 
you're not going to see any, uh, you know, Lion King-esque tarantula movies from <laughs> Disney anytime soon. So, yeah, I thought that was just like a fascinating way to determine the most charismatic animals. And that being said, like, since this questionnaire was focused on European school children, and I would imagine the survey responses also probably mostly came from people who speak English. So you're going to see a big skew in sure. the data on the most charismatic animals. These are clearly going to be like, what animals are the most popular with essentially European people, I guess. Yeah. I was even looking through this list, like, I don't know if you would get the same responses if you polled, like, people where I live in Florida. No. Like, in Florida, your favorite animal is it's alligator number one, crocodile number two, mm -hmm. baby crocodile number three, anaconda number four, <laughs> the, the white albino alligator number five, something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I was like, mm, this is clearly, like, some slightly skewed data, but data nonetheless. Yeah. It is still based on a rigorous actual scientific method. And, and that's the only... Not just... Mm -hmm, that's all we need. Yeah. And not just somebody like, I'm just going to write down a list of the 10 animals I think are the coolest. But in kind of the irony in that is if someone did sit down and just write a list of the 10 coolest animals, you know, it might line up decently well to the 10 scientifically most charismatic animals because kind of what the study's about in a way. And that's exactly why I think you're going to get quite a few of the ones on this list. Well, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a top 10 list expert, and I correctly guess every list that's ever been on the show in order the first time without fail. And that's on record. Yeah, exactly. Should I start guessing? Go for it. There's a few animals that I'm quite confident. I'm going to try to kind of hit maybe the back half of the top 10 first. Okay. What about the lion? Lion is on there. I'm going to say hovering around six or seven. Lion is number two. Wow. It's because of Lion King. I do think it is because of Lion King. Yeah. Lion King probably gives it a little bump, especially with elementary school kids, right? You got to think sure. about these are kids watching, right? Or these are kids like answering these questions. So, well, no, this was 2018. So this would have been before the Lion King reboot in 2019. Oh, okay. But I mean, a lot of people like, Grown-ups watch their favorite movies as a kid with their kids, right? So probably a lot of yeah, kids watch no, Lion King. no, I definitely, King. my kids saw the original Lion King well before, you know, the new one came out. And I knew Lion would be here. I guess it makes sense that it's so high, but I was thinking there's some other uh, big cat cousins of the lion that might do better. But so maybe many. Not. There's so many cats on this list. Mm -hmm. People <laughs> love cats. I love cats. I can't blame you. I mean, yes, absolutely. They're incredible beautiful creatures one of my favorite animals is a cat it's a majestic like, animal it really is it is yeah. it is a beautiful animal so they're the lion is their scientific name is panthera leo they are vulnerable according to the iucn red list the conservation status will tie in to but at, at the end once we go over all these animals i'll explain what the findings of the study were like how they how the animals lined up to their populations in the wild quick theory and you don't have to tell me now we'll check this later but i think the most charismatic animals will line will line up pretty good with being endangered or mm -hmm. i bet there's a correlation there is my point i think the most distinct feature of the lion is the the male lion's mane, the mane. right like you think of a lion you think of a big bushy beautiful mane mm -hmm. the mane is associated with testosterone production so lions with higher testosterone tend to produce these fuller and darker manes and then the female lions prefer to mate with lions that have those fuller, darker manes. So, like, that's mm -hmm. a trait that's, like, selected for over time. 
But even sometimes you'll get female lions that have like slightly higher testosterone levels and they start to grow those manes. Like they won't be as big and full as a male lion, but like a female lion, you may see these female lions with like slight manes to them. Yeah, well, now I got to look up a female lion with a mane. And also, you know, there will be male lions that don't have a mane. You know, it could kind of go either way. So, But I'm going to guess that those lions are kind of, for lack of a better word, maybe shunned or bullied in the pride. Is that accurate, you think? So pride social structure is really interesting. Um, Their lions are the most social wildcat. I think they might be the most social cat species, but they're definitely the most social like wildcat species. So they typically live in groups that are made up of their relatives and then their offspring. So when a male lion cub reaches maturity, they leave their pride so that they can go find a mate, right? Because like, but then once they do leave, they do want to like either find a pride or make their own like new pride or something. That's when you'll see a lot of documentaries will show like that clash between a new lion coming in and trying to like overthrow the male that's in that pride. So then you can get into really sticky Lion King level drama where mm-hmm. like the, the male comes in and tries to like eradicate the cubs of the male before him. So like I would say that like the Lion King was definitely not like a scientific documentary or anything like that. But like you do get some of that Shakespearean drama in some of like yeah. the lion's social dynamics. Shakespearean drama as it relates to lions is not something I expected today, but I'm here for it. I like that. <laughs> I mean, both the Lion King movies were like reskins of Shakespeare stories. So like, and and that tracks in like what lion prides can really be like. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's funny that I think most feline species out there are not social animals or they don't, they don't travel in packs, you know, tigers don't and several others. Mm -hmm. But the lion not only does, but it's like one of the best examples in the entire animal kingdom of a social unit which is kind of cool. Yeah. But for lions, what's cool is that a a lion like living on its own has just an abysmal hunting success rate. Mm -hmm. Like lions hunting on their own, it's like less than 20%. They do not clutch those kills. But when they hunt as a group, they do much better, right? You, You see them taking down animals like twice, three times their size. Right. Because they're hunting as a group. So they're fighting strength in numbers. So very cool about lions. I love right. them. Right. It's like when Brandon uses one hand to eat the hot dog over the trash can. He can sometimes mm. struggle, but when he holds it tight like a dog with a bone and just really <laughs> rips into it, that's when he really has a high success rate. You need a hot dog eating stability. Right. Yeah, exactly. That hot dog is not getting away. <laughs> but I do remember some of those lion hunting facts because we, tr- um, we did the top 10 apex predators at some point lion was on there and i did a little oh, yeah. research on lions but yeah they it benefits them greatly to be in a pack yeah, yeah. it's very cool yeah i'm not going to dwell too much more on lions because they're really cool but <laughs> we have a lot of animals to go over so yeah lion is number two do you have any guesses as to what uh, else might be on this list yeah so i'm gonna stay in kitty territory for sure originally i thought this kitty would be higher than the lion but now i see probably not i'm gonna say that the tiger Somewhere in the middle. Tiger is number one. Number one. See, did I tell you I was a top 10 expert or what? You did. You got number two, number one right out of the gate. Wow. And I have to agree with placing the tiger in number one. I'm sorry. Like, I love all the unappreciated, uncharismatic animals, but there's something about a tiger that just nails it, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The tiger is a lot like the lion too, but they're just like this symbol of 
I don't know, strength, ferocity, whatever you want through the history of humanity using this symbol of the tiger in different cultures. And they're such a unique looking animal, like we're all used to it now because we've all known tigers forever. But when you isolate the tiger, it is a very beautiful, unique animal. And it's also so different than the lion as well. But they're like the two that are compared most often. Yeah, I know a lot of people want to be like, which would win in a fight? And I'm like, okay, the tiger, obviously. Like one on one, definitely tiger all the way. Tiger's much bigger than a lion, like typically. Of course, tigers are found over a pretty like wide range. They'll vary a little bit depending on what part of the world they live in. But I mean, it's a stunner no matter where you find them. Oh, yeah. Tigers are incredible. And the thing that I think is so interesting about them for people is that their coat is that bright orange, right? It's like a fiery bright orange. And so if you're thinking about an animal that is like a predator that is trying to sneak up on their prey and they're in a jungle, right? They're in a like a tropical setting, greenery all around them. You might think, well, orange being so contrasting to green doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, why would you be the standout orange? So when I talked to um, carnivore ecologist Tyus Williams, I talked to on our episode about tigers, he told me something that blew my mind that I've thought about every single day since he told me this. Tell me. Tigers being mammals, mammals produce the, the pigment in mammals skin and hair, fur, stuff like that is produced by a pigment called melanin. And melanin really only covers the browns, blacks, reds. You really only get those like warm brown tones from melanin. You can't get into the cooler shade of the spectrum, right? You can't get blues or greens or anything like that. So that's why you really only see mammals in these warm tones. Okay. So the prey that tigers hunt So like the deer Mm -hmm. that live in the parts of Asia where tigers live are red, green, colorblind. Oh, okay. And so to them, orange and green both show up as brown. Okay. And so for the tiger, it was really easy for them to get their fur to be orange, which is a shade produced by melanin. So much easier than trying to get it all the way into green, which is not a natural shade for a mammal. So that was just like the easiest way for them to blend in. So to their prey, they look exactly like the surrounding area because their prey is colorblind. That's so fascinating because, you know, (laughs) that tiger thinks it's being so sneaky at all times. And it is because, Mm -hmm. you know, like we as humans, when you're watching a nature documentary or whatever, or you're seeing a tiger at the zoo, you can't miss it. It's right there. Mm-hmm. But, and when you see it sneaking around, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Coolest thing. I could talk about tigers all day. Okay. Yeah. But we have other animals to get okay. to. What else do you think is on this list? Tiger's a great choice. I'd take a tiger over a lion as well, just as a general. I mean, yeah, I can't fault you for that. I, I definitely, I'm a tiger. I have all sorts of tiger merch and tiger memorabilia <laughs> in my house. So I can't pretend not to have a bias there. But I do have to question how this vicious, uber successful apex predator, carnivore, whatever you want to say, got mixed up in the cereal game with Frosted Flakes and Tony the Tiger. That, some, I need to talk to somebody about that one. They are great. So, like, you no. do have to factor that in. I will not. <laughs> okay. Let me give you another guess. Yes. What I thought was going to be number one will be my next guess, and that's the monkey. Can you be more specific than that? The chimpanzee. Ooh, that is close. But no, the chimpanzee is not on the top 10. The orangutan. That's also close, but it is not in the pan genus. What am I missing? 
I mean, I know there's a million monkeys, but like, what's the one that a gorilla? Yes, it is the gorilla. I'm surprised gorillas higher than chimp. Some people will get mad at you for calling a gorilla a monkey, but here's the thing. I know they're not monkeys, but I... Gorillas are apes, and apes are kind of considered types of monkeys. So, like, it's really not a big deal. You can call them monkeys. It's okay. It's not a big deal. The big differentiator being that apes typically don't have tails. Monkeys do. Yeah, and apes can also crush you with their bare hands, and monkeys usually can't. (laughs) Especially the gorilla. Mm -hmm. The gorilla, for sure, is one that um, you do not want to throw hands with. The gorilla, by the way, is number 10 on this list. Okay. Barely made it in, but it it is there, which I was a little surprised by. I really didn't think any type of primate was going to make the list, but that's just me. Clearly, based on my guessing, I I did not think Gorilla would be above some of these other monkeys I mentioned, but okay, number 10 makes sense if he's going to be there, he or she. So chimpanzees and bonobos are more closely related to humans, but gorillas are like the third one. Okay. So they're pretty close to humans, but not as close as chimps and bonobos. But gorillas, I do think, have that look where like you can clearly tell they're a wild animal, right? They look very different from humans. They're huge. Have you ever seen a gorilla in person? Yeah. They're big boys or girls. And I was going to say this later, but I'll just say it now since I'm talking. I saw a video just today of a you know, big, like, silverback gorilla mm-hmm. in the wild. You know, he might have been in captivity somewhere. I couldn't really tell. But there was a prairie dog sticking out of the ground, and the gorilla was just Uh-oh. sitting in front of it, petting it like a pet. Mm. Yeah. And it's just, like, 20 seconds of that, and then the video ended. And it's this huge creature that is, like, super into, I don't know, masculinity, for <laughs> lack of a better word. You know, they're very alpha. Mm-hmm. They don't take any shit. This gorilla... <laughs> is petting this prairie dog and I, you'd love to see it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny that you say that. So yeah, like gorillas do live in these like troops that typically have like a harem mm-hmm. hierarchy where like there's the one, like you said, a silverback, right? The big dominant male. And then he's got a bunch of females around <laughs> that are his mates. Mm-hmm. But even past that level, like they all have very intricate social dynamics and like It varies not just like between troops, but just like between individuals, right? Like they have really, really complex social lives. And yeah, you do get like gorillas that like you've heard of like Coco the gorilla, right? That had like a pet kitten. And you do see that same sort of like softness and like almost curiosity in gorillas because they do such fascinating things. Like they use tools. They have language that they use with each other. Like they have just like such fascinating ways of interacting with the world. And I, I read this today that there was a study, and I think it was 2006, 2008, something like that. It was a study of like hundreds of captive gorillas that showed that the gorillas were passing on behaviors between their generations, but behaviorally, they weren't instincts. They were things they were teaching to oh, their further teaching. like generations. Learned behaviors. Yes, and they were different between the populations of gorillas. So it was like a culture. Like they had like distinct cultures and like you see that in the wild too. You see like troops of gorillas that live in different areas have different like ways of using tools or different ways of communicating with each other. And it's that culture that they're all building that's going to lead to a real life Planet of the Apes maybe. But Let them have it. (laughs) Oh, hey, fucking absolutely. After the last few years, uh, humans have really, I've lost faith in them. Gorillas would do a much better job. (laughs) But I have to agree too that gorillas while I would contend the most fascinating creature we've covered so far, probably one of on this whole list, 
Probably also the creature I'd least want to encounter in the wild. I think I'd rather encounter a wild tiger than a gorilla. I don't know if the average person <laughs> would say that, but do you agree with that? I mean, okay, so a tiger, I feel like, would probably mm, be less likely to respond with aggression. Like, yeah. a tiger would probably see that you have noticed it and leave. And yes. I would imagine that a gorilla might interpret your approach as a threat. Absolutely. And respond hostily to it. And you know that scene in, I think it's the first Avengers, when Hulk grabs Thor and just swings it's him exact, back and yes. forth against the ground? That's what you're That's dealing what with. the gorilla is going to do to me. The gorilla, man. I'm glad, he's, I'm glad they made the top 10. Me too. Let's see. What else we got on this list? Kind of in the same vein as a gorilla, as far as big, don't want to encounter him in the wild, is the bear. And I'm going to say the bear is pretty high. Which bear? Oh. There are two bears on this list. Well, the two bears are going to be black bear and polar bear. And I'll say that the polar bear is higher at number four. The polar bear is on the list. The black bear is not. Okay. Well, oh. But the polar bear is number eight. I knew it. What's the other bear? The polar well, bear. I'll get to the yeah. other bear. But let's do polar bear. Eight. Okay. Polar bear is the biggest bear. So yeah. clearly, yes, one you would not want to encounter in the wild. Unfortunately, because of global warming, polar bears are making their way farther and farther south in search of like land. So you're seeing more and more interactions between polar bears and humans. Yeah. Um, so polar bears are found in the Arctic Circle, which, by the way, is the North Pole. Sometimes I think people get a little confused as to the places where polar bears and penguins live, mm. because I think a lot of times people think that polar bears prey on penguins, which they live on opposite ends of the world. Yeah. So the polar bears live up in the north in the Arctic Circle, and then penguins live down in the south in Antarctica. Yeah. So... No bears preying on penguins. They have nothing to do with each other. Which they have good. never met. <laughs> That's good. There are other creatures that the polar bear eats that are very sad, that, like the seal. <laughs> right. <laughs> but at least the penguin is safe. Yeah, penguins are doing great. Well, um, there's a funny like, like to bears anyway. Yes. Uh, there's a funny little thing about how like penguins don't necessarily recognize any terrestrial predators because all of the predators in Antarctica are marine predators. Oh, yeah. So when they're on land, they don't recognize anything approaching them on land as a threat. So like oh, scientists that work in Antarctica can just like walk, like penguins will just like walk right up to them because they don't conceive of that as being dangerous. God damn it, Ellen. <laughs> now I got to book a trip to Antarctica. <laughs> if you do, please let me know. I'll go with you in a heartbeat. <laughs> Is there anything better on the planet than being just standing there and a penguin just waddles up to you and just looks at you. There's so many cute little pictures and videos of them just walking up and be like, what you doing? Ah, oh, fuck. That'd be the best. It's adorable. So polar bears do not eat penguins. They have nothing to do with each other. But it's polar bears news. are huge. Have mm -hmm. you ever heard this? I don't know how common of a fact this is, but the thing about polar bear fur. What about it? So polar bear fur is, is they're the only bear that is white. Yeah. But their fur isn't actually colored white. Like if you pull one of their pieces of fur off of their body, it's not white. It's clear. It's transparent. There's no pigment in it. So it appears white because of the, the keratin that makes up the hair. Maybe like your fingernail. Oh. And then even weirder than that, their skin underneath is black. Why are you telling me this shit? Your skin is black. <laughs> it's wild, right? So like if you ever see a, a picture of like a polar bear that is like sopping wet to where you can see like their skin underneath, it's like black. It's so wild. 
I'm doing a Google image search and I'll post <laughs> this image in the show notes. Yeah, I do see someone here is like pulling a polar bear's hair apart and they're black underneath. Wild, <laughs> right? Yeah. God damn, these things are cute. But they'll fucking kill your ass in a second. Don't worry. Yeah. So male polar bears can be up to nine feet long Jesus. from nose to tail. Um, but then females are only like half that size, which is a very drastic difference in size between male and female. Take a look at the chat box. Let's see here. Oh, look at them. There's a polar bear that's been shaved. And <laughs> you know that dog? What's that dog that? Mm. Chinese crescent dog, maybe? <gasps> yes. <laughs> Chinese crested dog. That's what this looks like. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's what the polar bear looks like. All right. I'm going to post images side by side of the Chinese crested dog and a shaved (laughs) polar bear, and you'll see what I mean. But this polar bear looks a lot less threatening when he's shaved. I know. They definitely look deceptively cuddly. Yeah. They're not cuddly at all. I mean, polar bear's cute pretty much in any state. But it's peak cuteness, optimal cuteness is when it's a big, fluffy white polar bear, like in the Coca Cola Christmas commercials. Yes, they're relentlessly charming. I love them so much. They're relentlessly perfect. charming. <laughs> <laughs> but there is another bear on this list that many would argue is even more charming than the polar bear. I think it does I know rank it higher than the polar bear. I disagree that it's more charming, but it's got to be the grizzly. <laughs> it is not. Oh, really? Oh, oh. Uh, you may be. Panda. Yes. Panda it bear. is the giant panda. Okay. Which I think you probably weren't even thinking of because they are so different from the rest of the bears. It's true. Like they don't even register as a bear because they're so, the vibe is so far off <laughs> from what you expect of a bear. Yeah. But pandas are fascinating. So they are bears, but they are endemic to China. So you'll find them in bamboo forests. I don't know how much you know about pandas. They get kind of roasted pretty frequently, and maybe some argue that it is deserved and some argue that it is not. The whole thing being that, yes, they do famously have a diet that consists pretty much solely at this point of bamboo, Yeah, but they are still carnivores. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, like, they're still built to be carnivores. Like, they still have sharp, pointy canine teeth. Their digestive system is built for digesting meat. So they shouldn't really be able to digest the amount of plant material that they eat because it is pretty much all they eat at this point. So the only way that they're able to eat this amount of bamboo is by this like bacteria that grows in their gut that breaks down the cellulose for them. And it's not something that like grows naturally. It doesn't like spontaneously appear in their gut. They have to pass it from the mother to the baby. I remember this. Because we've done animal episodes before, and this is coming back to me. Mm -hmm. The baby panda eats the mama panda's poop. Poop. (laughs) I was going to let you choose the word. Her fecal matter. Yes. But who hasn't? I mean, like... Am I right? Listen, I got two kids, and it couldn't be me is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, they have to go to great lengths to be able to eat the things that they eat. And then that puts them at a very, very serious energy deficit. So the food that they're eating doesn't provide them with enough fuel to keep their body going, right? Like to do the things Why are they're they trying eating to do. It? Beats me. I mean, yeah, okay. they have, they have a, a, an ancestor far, far, far back, like millions of years back that was an omnivore. 
And it seems like just kind of leaned more heavily into the herbivore lifestyle over time. I don't know for sure the reason. Maybe somebody does. But at this point, they're only eating, they're pretty much only eating bamboo. I mean, little things here and there, but it's really mostly just bamboo. So you end up with this animal that is at like, a, it's a big animal. Yeah. They're bulky and they need a lot of fuel to keep their body going and they're not getting it from the bamboo. So you end up with this animal that is like very lethargic and oh, okay. lazy, essentially, because that's why they have such a hard time getting them to breed. Because mating is energetically expensive. And also, they, in the wild, they live in very, you know, uphill, kind of hilly, mountainous areas where just getting around requires a lot of... Like, can you imagine if you'd lived on the side of a mountain no. and every time you wanted to eat, you had to, like, hike directly up an incline? Like, it's, it's taxing. No. no. <laughs> and also, all you had to eat that day was, like, a bowl of spinach? Well, that's not... That's never happened in my life. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's interesting because the panda is kind of like one of those go-to animals for laziness, you know, that's like how kung fu panda mm -hmm. got made because the juxtaposition of, you know, a fierce ninja fighter and a lazy panda bear. But there's reasons behind that. There's scientific evidence or uh yeah, reasons to why that is. So it all makes sense, but Yeah. If I could talk to a panda, I would say, "Hey, you should try hunting sometime <laughs> and eat that." Have you considered maybe a steak once in a while? Could be nice. Try it. What number was this guy? This was six. Six. Yes. So we've gotten five out of the ten, and every one of them's cute as hell, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got some cuties on this list. Which is not surprising. We're talking about the animals humans love most. Well, speaking of the list, why don't you give a quick recap of where we stand so far with what's been guessed? Okay, so far you have guessed number one, the tiger, number two, the lion, number six, the giant panda, number eight, the polar bear, number 10, the gorilla. Well, I'm going to go with a, a guess that might surprise some people. Mm. This animal instills fear in people. So one might think, well, why is he guessing it? However, this animal is also. It's so much like kids' fiction and movies, TV shows, books. So it's the shark. Is the shark in the top 10? There are no sharks on the top okay. 10. Although I agree with you, like as somebody who has spent a lot of time around young boys, sharks should be on the top list, on the yeah. top 10 list. Yeah, sharks are huge in my house. I got two boys and sharks are a frequent topic of discussion. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I have a five-year-old boy, and shark sharks is high on the priority list of yes. uh, discussion topics and things to obsess <laughs> over. What about just your everyday domestic dog? You know, I don't know if they included dog on the list of options, because these are okay. all wild animals, so I don't know if they included domestic animals. But I will say, the guest dog is extremely close to one wolf. of the animals on the list. Yes, it is the wolf. The wolf, Yeah. <laughs> The gray wolf is number nine. Wow. Canis lupus. Which kind of down there. The ancestor of the domesticated dog. So like naturally we would like, people are inclined to like the wolf because we like dogs. Yeah. So we like what we see in the wolf as well. Um, which is interesting because I have read somewhere that over time dogs evolved to have more complex facial muscles 
where they can emote more with their face. And if you look at a wolf, a wolf doesn't make the same facial expressions that dogs do because humans communicate facially with each other. So dogs over time evolved to also communicate facially with each with with us. Yeah, and I know we're talking canines right now, but you reminded me like it's similar to the domestic cat. Mm. They developed meowing as a way exclusively to communicate with humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cats don't talk to each other by meowing. That they they do that for humans only. So, kind of similar. Yeah, it is really interesting how animals like evolve over thousands of years around us, right? Like to yeah. live with us more effectively. I think people do tend to be inclined to like wolves. But I was surprised that it's on the list because wolves do have such like a complicated history with humans. Mm-hmm. They, you know, naturally wolves featuring prominently as villains in a lot of especially mm-hmm. European folklore. Wolves are usually Big the bad wolf. Yes. Wolves are usually, you know, the three little pigs. The villain is a wolf. Like a wolf is just so commonly used as like the bad guy. And that's because there's historically been so much conflict between humans and wolves over livestock. You know, it's a very real thing where wolves will come in and pick off, you know, a farmer's herd. And naturally, yeah, there would be some enmity there between each other. And it has given humans and wolves a very bloody past with each other. So like one of the most famous conservation stories of all time is like the Yellowstone wolves. I don't know how familiar you are with the Yellowstone wolves story. Not. So basically, when Yellowstone National Park was established, at first there just weren't any rules about like animals you could and couldn't kill in the park. But a lot of people, you know, whatever their reasons were, had beef with the wolves. (laughs) And so it was even at the point where like people were encouraged by the government to hunt and kill wolves. So it got eventually to the point where there were just none left. Yeah. I think by 1920, like 26 or something like that, there were just no wolves left in Yellowstone. So the effect of that was that there was this dramatic increase in the number of elks that lived there, right? Mm -hmm. Naturally, there's no wolves around to hunt the elks. So the elks population shoots up, which I mean, if you like elks, that's maybe at first seems like good news. Oh, boy, there's more cute, fluffy elks around. But the problem is that the elks were overgrazing. So the trees were just becoming bare, which meant there was less shade and just less like nutrients being cycled through the ecosystem. The landscape started eroding. So like the ecosystem just started falling apart, right? Like people that came to the... interrupted the natural cycle of life, as the Lion King says. Yeah. Yeah. So people who visited the park during this time they would talk about how like awful the park looked that it was just looked dead and it was just decaying and dying. So they knew something needed to be done about it. And so in the 90s, in 1995, the year I was born, the United States began reintroducing the wolves. So they started bringing wolves in that had been like captured from wild packs nearby and re-releasing them into Yellowstone. I mean, it kind of (laughs) worked. So they started thriving. They started preying on the elk. And it had this just like cascading effect of impact on the other animals that lived there. So like the trees grew more and with more trees that meant more beavers. And then more (laughs) beavers meant more dams and more dams meant more ponds and more ponds meant more fish and amphibians and otters. And like you start to see like the ecosystem starts to thrive again because they introduced wolves. It was just kind of a huge lesson in 
everything is way more connected than it seems because people just assumed, oh, we can just come in here and kill all the wolves and it'll be fine. And, And then saw after the fact how much had been impacted by the wolves. The wolves are a critical part of the ecosystem they're a part of. And they're also cute as hell. I know, they're so cute. But I, I also think that extends to not just like the wolves, but also to like any animal yes. that people might think is undesirable for human purposes. Like just because humans don't want it there doesn't mean it shouldn't be there. It doesn't mean it doesn't belong yes. there. So, like, yes, it, wolves now are, like, a very charismatic and beloved species, but they haven't always been. And I, I just think, like, there's a very valuable lesson in there to, like, consider how you feel about these animals and why. So, yeah. wolves are just a fascinating creature. To uh, follow up on what you're saying, humans invaded the wolf's territory, mm-hmm. not the other way around, most of the time. Yeah. So, we have to respect, but that's just not human nature, to respect the predecessors of a land. Right. So I was surprised to see that wolves are so high up on the charismatic list, but I was also yeah. glad to see it. I'm glad to see it. And you're right, too. They're often the bad guy. Just like that, that mm-hmm. kid's movie that came out recently, The Bad Guys. The main character mm. is the big bad wolf. I haven't seen it. Is it good? It's all right. Okay. <laughs> That's all I need. It's all right. <laughs> I wouldn't go out of your way. Okay. <laughs> I will go out of my way, though, to give another guess. Okay, we have one, two, three, four spots left. Yes. Let me ask you, are there any other big cats on here? There's two more big cats on here. Two more, okay. Yes. Then the cheetah must be on here. It is. Yeah. Cheetah is number seven. I knew it. Cheetah is number seven. And you, you asked big cats, and like some people don't consider the cheetah like technically a big cat because it's not in the panther. You mean stuck up people don't consider it. <laughs> I'm not a taxonomy uh, lawyer, so you won't hear me uh, ragging on you for calling them a big cat because they are a cat that is large, but they're not in the Panthera genus, so they're, okay. they don't roar, which is an interesting like distinction. Yeah. They, they don't make a roaring sound. They also, their claws aren't as retractable. They're, not, they're semi-retractable, so like they're, they're more like a dog's claws, whereas lions and tigers and stuff they can all bring their claws back inside their paws but cheetahs kind of can't because they need that traction when they're running it's like cleats basically like cleats for for soccer i guess interesting yeah so cheetah is famously the fastest land animal fastest recorded speed ever at 61 miles per hour Mm -hmm. very fast whoever recorded the cheetah speed at 61 miles an hour has never seen me late for a flight because i I might (laughs) think i could run up that runway (laughs) <laughs> crashing yes. through the gate <laughs> we've all yeah. been there so if you, so since you talked about the fastest animals you may have gone over the second fastest animal it's not on the charismatic list but it does have an interesting relationship to the cheetah it's the cheetah's prey i imagine right it's the pronghorn yeah yeah first of all i will say pronghorn are from america they're also called uh-huh. the american uh, antelope i think but they're not antelopes they're giraffe thing. They're giraffe relatives. They're related to giraffes. <laughs> but pronghorn live in America. Cheetahs live in Africa. Yeah. Cheetahs are in this like arms race with their prey where you're consistently seeing the cheetah evolving to be faster, the gazelles evolving to be faster to outrun them. So you're constantly getting faster and faster animals because they're trying to catch up with and outrun each other. 
you end up getting these gazelles that just travel at astronomical speeds because they're up against cheetahs. And then you've got the pronghorn, which lives in America, which is not where there's any cheetahs, but they run at cheetah-like speeds. Okay. That's because there used to be American cheetahs. There is an extinct species of cheetah that used to live in North America and chased pronghorns around. (laughs) So the cheetah was so fast that the pronghorn had to become even faster. But then the cheetah went extinct and pronghorns are still here. And so now pronghorns are way faster than anything that lives here. So they're just sitting pretty. <laughs> that, that is so fascinating. But the cheetah, for whatever reason, the American cheetah, for whatever reason, went extinct. And pronghorn was just like, oh, sweet. Nothing's faster than me now. <laughs> yes. Man. I wonder how much better or worse America would be today if there were wild cheetahs still roaming. It would be interesting. It would be interesting. They probably wouldn't last long. I just can't imagine an America where, what you said earlier, white men allow (laughs) cheetahs to roam free. Well, the interesting thing about that is that cheetahs, I actually didn't really know this, but cheetahs have been tamed and used by humans to hunt, like, throughout history. Really? Yeah, this was done in, I think it started in, like, Mesopotamia and, like, Sumer that sort of area, and then like spread throughout like Northern Africa, Southern Europe, um, into Asia. I know like there's documents through Chinese history of people like hunting with cheetahs. Like on a leash? Yes. Like they had them. Well, I mean, they would keep them on a leash. And then when it was time to hunt, they'd let them off the leash and then put them back on the leash when they were done. The cheetah came back. I don't know how they did it. (laughs) Ellen, you can't bring shit like this to me at 10 o'clock at night and... They had hunting cheetahs, like the way you would have like a hunting hound, right? Like they would just yeah. take out with them and let them go and, and they would keep them as pets. Oh my God. Like as far as cats go, as far as wild cats go, they're not that big. They're much smaller than like lions and tigers and stuff. They're skinny, right? So they're not bulky and powerful. Yeah, when yeah. you're up close with one and they don't have the speed going for them, they're not that intimidating. They're also not very aggressive. Like they're, they're just not very intimidating cats i guess as far as wild cats go that's a good one to tame i guess don't do it don't tame cheetahs don't go out and grab a cheetah please don't do that that's not nice at all (laughs) no i'm just surprised like anybody managed to do that the first time like once you do it the first time you can kind of go from there but the first time it's like i'm gonna first of all how am i (laughs) how are you catching up with this cheetah to tame it and I mean, I guess they had to have trapped it and then like slowly over time gain its trust and whatever. I don't know. But it's fascinating. So much cheetah, hashtag cheetah facts. I didn't know. Steep cheetah lore. Yeah. <laughs> but I love cheetahs. So I'm glad to see them on here. I know. They're great. There is one more cat on the list. Okay. Panther seems like a long shot. So I don't think it's that. Are you saying like Black Panther? Yeah. I will give it to you because it is the leopard. Oh, the Panthera leopard. Panthera pardus. So. <sighs> I just think cheetah got covers you for leopards. You don't need it. I'm glad that you said the panther because a Black Panther is not a species. The Black Panther could be either a leopard or a jaguar and they are melanistic. Have you ever heard of melanism? <sighs> 
Isn't that the thing you said earlier about the mammal colors and the tiger? Melanin is the pigment in mammal skin and hair that gives it its color, basically. Uh So an animal that has melanism just produces too much melanin. I wouldn't say too much, but like more melanin than normal. Uh So if you see a black panther and you look at it in the right light or you see a picture of it in the right light, you'll see that they're not completely black. They still have the spots, like the rosette pattern of a leopard or a jaguar. That's what they are. They're leopards and jaguars. They just have melanism. Well, first of all, when you do Google search for Black Panther, expect to see superhero shit in like the first yes. three pages. <laughs> you got to do that like minus Marvel in the yeah. Google search. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, I'm looking at these like actual Black Panthers now, or I guess they're jaguars or leopards, like you said. Man, these things are like their tails are so long and it's like a really strong looking tail, kind of like a... are they gorgeous? Yeah, it's just they're a beautiful. really beautiful animal that I want to pet badly but it will bite my arm off yes fight the urge (laughs) it's funny (laughs) that you said that because recently at our in the jacksonville zoo which is our local zoo that i go to all the time some guy florida man Uh decided to yes you know exactly where this is going climbed over the fence stuck his hand into the jaguar exhibit and you'll never guess what happened next lost his arm (laughs) yes i don't think the jaguar took the arm off, but there were very serious injuries to his arm. Yeah, I'm looking up the story. Yeah, if you look up Jacksonville Zoo jaguar arm, <laughs> you'll see the story. It was not long ago. I think it was this year. Here we go. This is July 2021. Yeah. Jaguar slashes man who climbed too close to his enclosure. Yes. A man who climbed over a wooden barrier at the range of the Jaguar display at the Jacksonville Zoo was mauled Wednesday when a big cat took swipes at him through a metal mesh fence. Jaguar was identified as 12-year-old Harry. (laughs) Sorry, Harry. Such a good name for a big cat. I know. Harry's not to be fucked with. Absolutely not. Yeah. The man began taunting the Jaguar, putting his hand on and through the fence. Okay, I'll stop. But yeah, it sounds like... The guy was an idiot and paid the price. Yes. Don't do that. So jaguars are different from leopards. So they are just really good. They're super strong so they can drag their prey up to the tops of the trees, which helps them a lot because the places where they live are just absolute free real estate for scavengers, right? Like hyenas, even lions will scavenge, like jackals, wild dogs, stuff like that. So they pull their prey up into a tree so that those other critters cannot get to it. Lions are a lot bigger than leopards. They're like way bulkier, so they're not as good at climbing trees. I think a lion could climb a tree, but like not as well as a leopard. Everyone think about that though. A leopard or a jaguar. I think the leopard's the one that you were talking about climbing the tree, right? Mm-hmm. Jaguars will climb a tree too, but leopards are like, they, they like hang out in the trees. Right. Think about Jungle Book, you know, that panther, which yes. is probably a leopard I'm learning. Yeah. Was he's in the trees. <laughs> This leopard is already badass enough. He looks cool. He's beautiful. He's got big claws, big teeth. He can run fast. Then you add on, oh, and he can drag your ass up into a tree and it ain't no problem for him. (laughs) It's cool. I've seen videos of like monkeys, like especially young monkeys that play with leopards by like swinging down and pulling their tails and swinging back up. (laughs) That is amazing. I'm so fucking glad you told me that. God, I am adding that to my YouTube search list tonight. 
It's extremely good. Leopards are badass, man. I'm glad they're here. Yes. What number were they? Five. Five. But this was, leopard is five, right? Yes. Because we talked about a couple of cats there, but leopard is the one. Yes. That was the last of the cats on this list. There are no more cats. And I think you only have number three and number four left. This episode you're listening to right now, you probably didn't know what it was going to be about until you saw it in your podcast feed, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that you've been missing out because many of your fellow listeners knew the topic of this exact episode about a month in advance. That's because they're subscribed to the free monthly Tennis Podcast email newsletter. That's right. Newsletter subscribers are the very first to know about future episode topics. At the start of the month, the newsletter lets them know the next month's worth of episodes before anyone else. Not only that, but newsletter subscribers also get behind-the-scenes notes and news, exclusive blogs that you can only read in the newsletter, merch discount promo codes, and way more. And the best part is that your lazy ass can join the newsletter list in literally about 10 seconds. Just go to TennisPod.com newsletter right now. Pull up your browser on your phone, TennisPod.com newsletter, enter your email address, and you're in. No personal info needed, and we only email you about once per month. Again, go to TennisPod.com slash newsletter to sign up and join the cool kids who are already receiving the Tennis Pod newsletter. We'll see you in your inbox. We are exclusively mammal so far, looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say turtle is a popular animal. No turtles. No turtle, okay. No turtles, but I would love it if there were. How about the frog? No frogs. Come on. Again, going back to my son being obsessed with sharks, turtles and frogs are also very popular. I'm, I might be getting close to hint territory. Sure. Okay, sure. Give me a hint. Well, I will say you, you had it right. They are all mammals. They're all mammals. There's only mammals on this list. And I will say the last two, as your hint, the last two are herbivores. Bunny or rabbit. Bunny. <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> I would love it. But... Your face just brightened so much when I said that. Like, I was just thinking about bunnies. <laughs> you would have thought I told you like, $20 million check is on its way. <laughs> nope, just bunny. I just had to say the word bunny. I love thinking about bunnies. <laughs> okay, another kind of random guess. What about the sloth? People love sloths. Oh, man. That's such a good one. It's not it, though. What about a kangaroo? Ooh, no, it's not a kangaroo, but I love kangaroos. You could at least admit that's a hell of a guess, right? Come on. Kangaroo's a good one. If they had pulled Australians, that would have been number one. Or if they pulled me, it'd be in my top ten. You personally. (laughs) How about the hippo? That is so close. Rhino? It is so close. Even close. Well, maybe not even closer. Hippo's probably closer. Walrus? Yeah, you're getting colder. Hippo. You're in like the right region of the You're world in the right area, mean? the right part of the world. Yes. Oh, elephant. Yes, it is the elephant. Elephant, of course. Number three. It was funny that you said like hippos and rhinos because people often think of elephants as being ungulates. So like animals with hooves, like I even had specifically in my notes, like rhinos and hippos. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not, which is really weird uh. because they're so similar, like body wise to those animals. But they're not. They belong to this really interesting group of mammals called Afrotherians. And specifically, the closest relatives of elephants are this one little creature, this one little critter called the hyrax, which is like really small and rodent-like. It's like little teeny tiny, and it looks 
almost like a bunny, but their other closest relatives, which I'm not going to make you guess because you'll never guess it in a million years, uh-huh. but their other closest relatives are manatees. Uh, like manatees and dugongs. My mind is racing because, first of all, they're cousins. <laughs> I, the manatee is surprising, but it looks a lot more like a manatee than this hyrax that I just looked up. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, a hyrax is nuts. like a mix of a prairie dog and a, I don't know what else. It's a rodent looking thing. Truly what happened. Yeah, that, thank you. That <laughs> took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. Truly what happened? How did this happen to you? So elephants are so different from the rest of their family tree. But the the one thing that I really wanted to say about elephants is that, so the African elephant is the largest terrestrial animal, um, if you're going off of like weight, I suppose. Ivory poaching is a big thing with elephants. Yeah. Yeah. So most people have probably heard of this. In African elephants, most African elephants have tusks. In Asian elephants, it's most of the females don't have tusks. But what's really interesting is that because of ivory poaching, that has created selective pressure against having tusks. Because if you have tusks, you're more likely to be killed for your tusks. So smart. Like surprisingly quickly, you're starting to see elephants are more and more frequently being born without tusks. Like they just never develop tusks. That's good, honestly. I mean, it's sad, but it's good. It also doesn't help the elephant because they use their they tusks use their tusk. for so much. But at least they'll... So, like, they'll live. use them for... Yeah, they use them for, like, pushing over trees. They use them for digging in the ground, like, to get water. They use them for, like, tons of stuff. So, it's not good for them that they don't have their tusks. But it does at least counter ivory poaching. Yeah. So, it helps them in one way, but it really takes away from them in others. This is an evolutionary thing of not having the tusks, mm-hmm. which... You know, for the panda bear to gain the ability to properly digest bamboo, basically has to eat its mom's shit. Yeah. So at least the <laughs> elephant doesn't have to do that to gain this evolutionary benefit. That is a W, I suppose. <laughs> that is one in the wind column for the elephant does not have to eat poop. Yeah. But the elephant is such a fascinating creature. We could spend a whole episode just talking about them. Yes. But the elephant is so smart. And yeah. they're so uh, social and they have, I think maybe they would have their own little cultures kind of like gorillas do. Yeah, I was going to say that's another animal yeah. that also like passes on traits and behaviors like through their generations. Yeah. I love a good elephant. Absolutely. Spectacular. You have one animal yeah. left on this list. You have uh, number four. Giraffe. Yes. It is the giraffe, which is number four. Most charismatic animal. Tallest animal, I mean, tallest, you know, terrestrial animal, of course. They're not taller than, they're not bigger than a blue whale. Nothing's bigger than a blue whale. Nothing's ever been bigger than a blue whale. But the giraffe. Is that true, by the way? Ever? Nothing's ever been bigger than a blue whale? The blue whale is the biggest animal that's ever existed. Ever. No dinosaur was ever bigger than the blue whale. Even Megalodon was only like a third of the size of the blue whale. where my mind went is Megalodon. Like, I I knew the blue whale, obviously, the biggest animal alive today, but I just kind of assumed Mm -hmm. that it. Not all time. It's kind of interesting. That Biggest ever. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Last name ever. First name biggest. <laughs> I love that. But giraffes um, are, so they're, they're incredibly tall. And what is so interesting about that is that they're tall and living on land where they're fighting against gravity, right? They're yeah. incredibly vertically aligned 
which means that their blood has to flow, you know, like seven feet up just to get up their neck. Yeah. So in order to like pump that blood up to their head and then when they drink water, they lower their head. So then all the blood's coming to the back to the bottom and then they pick it back up and all the blood rushes back. Like it's just the blood is doing some wild stuff. Yeah. So they have this like... I never thought about that. Right? So they have like incredibly high blood pressure. Like their blood pressure is like twice what a human's is. And just like their cardiovascular system has this like really complex like network of valves that like keep their blood from pooling in their head when they're drinking water. And then like just the funniest thing about all this to me is something that Ashley Hamer told me on our episode about giraffes where she talked about they basically have built-in compression socks where like the veins in their legs are like incredibly rigid and like tight and it keeps the blood from like pooling in their legs. It acts the same way that like we wear compression socks. All of this is just making me think this seems like such an inefficient, inefficiently designed animal, (laughs) you know? It seems like they're doing the most, right? Like why bump up the difficulty for yourself like this? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the height does provide them with, first of all, access to leaves that other animals don't have access to. So they can access like food sources that is just completely out of the question for a lot of other creatures, right? Also, what is an interesting thing is that they are essentially lookout towers, right? Mm. They're so incredibly high up that they can see anything, right, that's trying to come at them. They, They can just see for, I don't know, for miles, I would imagine. And they can run pretty fast, too. Yeah, yeah, with those long legs. I mean, when your stride is like half a mile long, you're going to be hauling ass across the savanna, basically. Yeah, but those legs also look so delicate to me. Like, I'm sure they're built fine, but like, they just seem like so breakable. They're surprisingly strong. And it's funny that you say they look fragile because when, if you've ever seen giraffes fighting with each other. Ooh, they whip their necks into each other. Yes. So they use their head as a wrecking ball and like slam it into each other and they go for the legs because they're trying to knock each other over. So they like target each other's legs and they're like slamming. I mean, their head alone is like 200 pounds. So they're like, God damn. Yes. We all just take this shit for granted though. Like we all, like we're all so used to seeing drafts at the zoo and their drafts Mm -hmm. are everywhere as far as like in American culture. But like to truly appreciate what that body has to accomplish just to function on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. is pretty spectacular. I would like to zero in on what you said about us being used to seeing them because that is kind of the crux of this list. Ah, There it is. The whole like point of this study to look at the most charismatic animals and how their populations are doing was to examine like how do people perceive the populations of these animals? The findings of the study were that among the people polled, everybody that they asked underestimated how endangered the animals were. So they asked the people, like, how endangered do you think this animal is? Or how do you think their population is doing? Everybody thought they were doing better than they are. The researchers posed this as a possible explanation that the popularity of the animals results in an abundance of imagery and representation of those animals in our media. Like you said, we see giraffes all the time. We see pictures of giraffes. We see giraffes on the internet. We see giraffes in zoos. Like we see giraffes pretty frequently and they seem to us like a pretty common animal. So the way the researchers described this is that it creates to the human mind a virtual population. That is right? interesting phrase, yeah. 
the idea is that we're seeing the animals really, really frequently, even though they're just photos. It's not the real animal, but we're seeing the animal very, very frequently, which makes them seem more common. And in our mind, that translates to they're more abundant. Like, I see this animal all the time. That must mean there's tons of them, which causes people to, like, take conservation a lot less seriously, right? Like, if you see a giraffe every day, you're probably not going to think it's that important to conserve giraffes. So fascinating. Like, you're right, because like some of these animals is like, I know, like, I know the cheetah's endangered, right? But to mm-hmm. me, the elephant, or not the elephant, the giraffe we were just talking about, I was thinking, yeah, it might be a little endangered, but I, it never occurred to me that they're like, quote unquote, on extinction's door almost. Everything on this list was either vulnerable, endangered, or critically endangered. Which ones are critically? Critically endangered are gorillas. Oh. Gorillas are critically, all of the species of gorillas are critically endangered. I will say the gray wolf is technically of least concern, but they're all like, uh, to some degree, their populations are declining. And the listeners, I would ask you to imagine a world, could be a long time from now, could not be, imagine a world where there's no elephants or no giraffes or no gorillas. Like that's possible. And not just because like they're cool animals and we like them and we want to see them. Like think back to the story of the wolves in Yellowstone. One species of animal disappearing from an environment has this like massive ripple effect on the ecosystem. So it's not just about like, oh, I think this animal's pretty and I want it to be there so I can look at it. It's like, what position are they holding their ecosystem that's going to fall apart if they're not there? Man, I feel like we need a call to action to donate here, Ellen. Do you have a... I'm glad you said that. Thank you. (laughs) I did at the end include, what action can you take? Good. So, you know, like, yeah, if you have an animal you really like, learn about them. Learn how their populations are doing. Um, Look into their conservation status and look into stewardship of their natural habitats. And then donate to a good, reputable conservation organization, specifically ones that are doing work on the ground to like maintain these environments. Um, I work with an organization called the Lemur Conservation Network that works with a lot of organizations that are doing work in Madagascar that involves getting local people involved in conservation of Madagascar's ecosystems, right? So like look into, if you have a favorite animal, look up that animal and then conservation. There it is. And find like a good organization that is doing work in the place where that animal lives and like support them so that you can not just like protect a cool animal that you like, but also like just make the world a better place for all of the animals. I love that there's a call to action there at the end. And I agree. I hope the listeners and myself Mm -hmm. too will learn more about these animals and how you can protect them. For sure. On that note, please, Ellen, walk us back through the top 10. Number 10, the gorilla, critically endangered. Ah. Number nine, the gray wolf, technically least concern, some populations endangered. Number eight, the polar bear, vulnerable. Number seven, the cheetah, vulnerable. Number six, the giant panda, vulnerable. Number five, the leopard, vulnerable. Number four, the giraffe, vulnerable. Number three, the elephant, endangered, with one critically endangered species. Number two, the lion, vulnerable. And number one, the tiger, endangered. Too many endangered zones there. I know. There's a lot of them. I know this wasn't on your list, but when we 
briefly touched on blue whales, I looked up the blue whale and I, mm. I just got to read some of these blue whale facts that I came across. Maybe you know these. They're spectacular creatures. The blue whale, largest animal ever recorded. You said that. They're 8,200 feet long and 441,000 pounds. <laughs> the most pounds something can be. 441,000 pounds. But this is what really killed me. The tongue of the blue whale weighs as much as an elephant. Just the tongue. The tongue. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting these facts from treehugger.com. So <laughs> one more fact for you here. The blue whale lives up to 90 years. Mm, I believe it. Can you believe that? Like, why? <laughs> Typically, like with animals that are bigger, they usually have a longer lifespan, with the exception being like cephalopods. So like even like the giant squid only lives like three to five years at the most. Yeah. But like with big animals, usually the bigger they are, the longer they live. Because, like, keep in mind, they have such a slow metabolic rate, right? Like, they're so enormous that, like, it takes a billion years for their blood to even flow from one part of their body to another. So, like, they're, they're just operating on, like, a much different scale of time than we are. That all logically makes sense. But still, my, my brain's having a hard time wrapping its hands around the fact that there's whales in the ocean now that are 90 years old. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, that were around when, you know... FDR was president. It's just, it's crazy. Oh, look up the Greenland shark. Greenland sharks live for hundreds of years. Hundreds, plural. Greenland shark. The oldest one they found was 493, I think, the oldest wow. Greenland shark they found was. Like, why? <laughs> why do you have to live so long? It's the same thing with them. Yeah. Like, they live in extremely dark, cold areas, so, like, everything in their body moves at a really slow pace. So it's like you just like stretched out time for them, basically. You're just living on slow-mo. Wow. All right. I'm going to go down rabbit holes I can talk here. about this for the rest of my life. I need to stop. <laughs> I need to stop. Ooh, ooh, ah, ah. That's my way of saying, let's take a break from animal talk to talk about you animals who've left us some podcast reviews recently. Every week on this lovely show, I read reviews from lovely folks like you. And I'm going to start this week with one from Apple Podcasts. It comes from Johnny Lemon 9. Johnny Lemon 9 says, Love the concept, and the hosts have great chemistry. I really enjoy the diversity of topics covered in each episode. It makes my workday go faster. It makes me laugh, and I even get to learn something. Check it out. Johnny, thanks for that review, and I love this show too because I get to learn stuff every time I do it, whether I'm bringing the list or whether I'm guessing like I am this week. Glad to hear it makes your workday go faster. I would be curious to know what you do for work. If your workday goes faster while you're sitting at a desk like in a corporate office, that's one thing, but if your day goes faster when you're scraping roadkill off the road, I guess that's also good that it makes you go faster. Either way, thank you for listening and thanks for your review. One more here from Scott. It's on Apple Podcasts again. Love Tennis Podcast. Consistently funny and informative. Enjoyed the profanity episode with Steve from Speaksies. The profanity episode is one of my fucking favorites, you asshole. But thanks for that review. Steve is from the podcast Origin of Speaksies. It was back on, I think, episode 167 that we did profanity. And Steve is relaunching his show as the Speaksies show. Make sure you check it out, you sons of bitches. And if you want me to check out your review on a future episode, I will read it no matter what it says. 
Just rate us five stars and write a review on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser, or on the Good Pods app. And by the way, if you're listening on Spotify, tap that little star icon near the top of our Spotify page, rate us five stars, and I'll give you a big ol' smooch. But now I'm ready to smooch back over to the top ten most charismatic animals with Ellen. But this has been a true blast. Thank you for coming on, and thank you for doing the research on the list. But I want to make sure you have one more chance to plug your show. Tell the folks at home any recent episodes you're proud of or any episodes coming up they should be aware of uh, and how to find you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So once again, our show is just the zoo of us. Just the zoo of us. I know, right? <laughs> Such a good Apparently name. that makes it very difficult to try to listen to our show on a smart speaker, because if you ask ah. your smart speaker <laughs> to listen to our show, she will play that song. Yeah, well, just like when you ask Alexa to play tennis podcast, she starts playing a tennis podcast. <gasps> no. Yeah. Oh, so close. You almost had it. But yeah, just the zoo of us. It is family friendly, by the way. So if anybody um, has young ones in their life that they would like to listen with, um, that's perfect for putting on in the car while you're driving the kids to school. Not like this show. <laughs> right. This is maybe for after they've gotten out of the car when you're driving home by yourself or to work. But while they're in the car, you can listen to our show and we don't uh, say any bad words. So it's on every major podcatcher. Basically, wherever you're listening to podcasts, you can probably find us. We recently did a Dungeons and Dragons episode. I saw that. Like, as in, it went up on Friday. And yeah, it's very different from what we usually do. So it's probably not a great intro to, but I am really excited about it. It was really cool. We played Dungeons and Dragons, which was really fun. But upcoming, what's a good upcoming episode we have? This week's episode is going to be about owl monkeys. Oh, my And our God. guest on that was just hilarious. Very fun. It's delightful. We've already recorded that one and it was just fantastic. So I'm excited about owl monkeys. To Anything come monkeys I'm there for. But like that in particular, that sounds like a must listen in the, in the yes. Nicomel household. It's going to be very fun. So. Yeah, that's pretty much it as far as uh, where folks can find us. We're also like heavily active on social media, especially Twitter. So just search the name of the show. I promise you'll find us. us. Yes. I was poking around on your website today, prepping for the show, and I came across something I just thought was so cool, which is, you know, you mentioned it's a family friendly show, Mm -hmm. which is true. Uh, But there's also coloring pages for animals that can partner with some of the episodes. Like I'm looking at the archer fish coloring page (laughs) that you can... You or your kids can color while you listen to the episode 92 about the archer fish. So, and I should say, those are Ellen Weatherford originals. Are they? I drew those. Nice. <laughs> They're great. They look really good. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be doing three more soon. So you if you like coloring, keep an eye out because new, new coloring pages are coming soon. Yeah. So that's just cool. Uh, and nobody wants to color anything I draw ever because <laughs> yeah, it just wouldn't work You'd out. You'd be surprised. You should try it. It's fun. I will not for the sake of humanity as a whole. But it's cool that your podcast and your website has that. Thank you. We work hard on it. (laughs) Well, anyway, this has been Ellen on episode 179 of the Tennis Podcast. Go listen to her show, Just the Zoo of Us. And for you folks at home, you fine folks, let us know what you thought of this episode. Tag us on social media. Follow us while you're there. We're at Tennis Pod on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. We have a subreddit, at Tennis Pod. Let me know what you think of this episode. And you can also follow me directly at the Nicomel 
on Instagram and Twitter as well. On that happy note, I will be back with a new guest sidekick host next week for episode 180. Ellen, any final words? Be nice to animals. And if you have a favorite animal, cherish them deeply and never let go in your whole life. Advice to live by, cherish them deeply. Just like I cherish all of you. And I'll see you next week. Appreciate you listening. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye.